0: Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks for joining us. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us also. Um, I just feel more comfortable with that music after the, the first John. I don't feel like I have to strut up here. So, I just feel like I'm more of my element. So, we were at my younger brother's wedding, and the reception was a $110 a plate buffet. So I found the the steak line and the potatoes and this and that, and I did a couple times and and talked with people, went around, and it came time to go. And I'm walking out, and I think, wait a minute, what's that line? Oh, that's the seafood line. What's that line? That's the prime rib line. I didn't know. And it was too long. I'm full when I'm full. Two, it's time to go. They're shutting down. It's kind of like, oh, I, I kind of missed out. I didn't know all this was here. Well, I fear that could be a picture of our life with Christ someday in eternity or someday as we get to the end of our lives. When we look back and we think, man, I, I, I may have missed out. Jesus has promised fullness of life. He's promised us an abundant life. He's made that available, but that doesn't mean we'll necessarily take hold of it. So the question I have for this morning is, how do we experience all God has for us? That's what I want us to think about. So if you've got a Bible, if you turn it to Joshua chapter 1, we're going to go through all of chapter 1, wrestling with this question, how do we experience all God has for us? This is the first of about 12 Sundays or so that we will spend in the book of Joshua. Let me set the backdrop just a bit. We know from the book of Genesis, God created humanity to be in a relationship with him. Adam and Eve, representative of you and me, push back. No, nah, I think I'll do my own thing. I think I'll go my own way. That rebellion, God called sin, that created a separation. Humanity decide we're going to try and make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower. God says, no, that's not happening. And in Genesis 12, he found this guy named Abraham, kind of just a happy-go-lucky polytheistic pagan, and said, you know, I'm calling you to follow me, and I want you to take up your wife and go to a different land, and I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to multiply you into a nation through which I'm going to make my name great. And and the number of descendants you have will will be more than the stars. So that happened. Abraham had Isaac and Jacob. There was a bit of a story in there, but I'll telescope that for the sake of time. Uh, Jacob's family ran into a famine. Uh, his sons turned on one of the sons named Joseph. Long story, Joseph, through the sovereignty of God, becomes uh, second in charge of Israel, and he is administrating the the, the food that they saved in, uh, in in the seven years of plenty. And in the midst of the seven years of famine, Jacob's other sons, in desperation, go down there. They realize it's Joseph. They're welcomed to Egypt, and they settle there. But Egypt has a change of leadership. The new king is very, very concerned about these foreigners. And so for 400 years, Israel's enslaved in Egypt. Now, Egypt is a very ethnocentric people, so there was no cross marrying. So, so Israel develops as a nation, for 400 years it is god's people but they are suffering suffering under the heavy hand of the egyptians and they cry out and at some point god says i have heard the cry of my people moses uh, had his own streak of rebellion i won't go into that god sent him into the desert to be a sheep herder for 40 years and he calls him in a burning bush He said moses i want you to go lead my people moses goes back to israel at first they're not sure but he finally convinces them. It's his hand. The Pharaoh of Egypt, he's not interested in letting go. This this is good for his bottom line. It's a lot of free labor. And so there's a series of ten plagues that got institutes on Egypt that finally convinces Pharaoh, I need to let these people go. He lets them go. He changes his mind. He sends his army out. They back up. They're trapped at the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. Israel goes through. Egypt goes in. The water comes over. His people are free. And so they have a march to the promised land, and they send out spies. They say, it's a good land. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, say, we absolutely ought to go in. The other 10 spies say, yeah, it's a good land, but these people are too big. And so this nation has seen God do a miracle, 10 plagues, part the Red Sea. They think, nah, I don't think we can do it. And they cry out, God, we ought to go back to Egypt. So that first generation fails. They realize their mistake, they think we'll go up. God said, it's too late. His blessing's not on them. They lose that battle. And so they will spend 40 years wandering in the desert. Everybody 20 and over will die before Israel will take the promised land. And that's where we are now. God's chosen people. He said, I'm going to show myself to the world, to these people. This is their second chance to go in to this land in which he promised to bless them. That's where we are, Joshua 1, verse 1. It says, it now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Remember, Joshua is one of the two spies in the first generation that said, I think we ought to take the land. So God has chosen him to lead because Moses' the servant has died. I want to stop right there. It would be easy for the people of Israel to say, you know, our leader, the one who led us out of Israel, the one who had to convince us that God was calling him is dead, we can't go. But it's not ultimately Moses who would or would not bring them into the land, it's God. And I think that has parallels for us today in these United States. I understand you have political ideas, I have political ideas, we have preferences, and and we have ideas of who lines up with God and who doesn't, and that's a discussion worth having. But in the end, do we understand as a nation that the one who will lead us to abundance is Jesus Christ? It is not a political party. It is not a political figure. Well, Andy, of course, why do you say that? Because there are times I see some Christians getting so exercised over a politician or a party, I wonder, what do you believe America ultimately needs? There is so much and vitriol and anger that the witness for Christ, in my opinion, is compromised. They're so consumed about this politician or this party or this... It's a discussion worth having, but not at the expense of compromising our witness for Christ because it is Christ who will lead us to the place we really want to be. Well, that's where Israel is. The the, the leader they thought that has led them is dead. And and I'm sure there's a question, what about? And so God recognizes that starting in verse 2. Moses, my servant, the one I called, he's dead. Now, you, Joshua, therefore arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. This is land I'm giving. And in fact, the last generation, I promised that I'm giving, but they didn't take me up on it. They didn't think I could dispossess the people. But Joshua, it's mine. I'm giving it to you. Verse 3, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given into you, just as I spoke to to Moses, from the wilderness in Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. I'm laying this out. I'm giving it to you. Joshua, it's done. Will you take me up on my word? So, I'm wondering. Do we have any Husker football fans here with us this morning. Any? Do we have a couple? I see that hand, a couple, thank you. Thank you for your honesty, thank you. So you Husker fans, I want to take you back to the Orange Bowl, 1995. Tom Osborne's trying to win his first national championship. Let me set the stage, go into the fourth quarter. The Huskers are down one score. They're playing Miami, Miami has at least two significant names on their defense. Warren Sapp, Ray Lewis, both Hall of Fame caliber players. Now, I'm not going to do it, just so you know, but if I were to show a video of the fourth quarter up here, would you be nervous? Given who Miami is and given that Nebraska's down a score, would you be nervous about that? No, you wouldn't be. Why? Because you know the result. Two times, they methodically marched down and punched the ball in, didn't they? Even though the odds, I mean, Warren Sapp was all, I don't know if you watch, I wasn't even, I was a college football fan. I mean, I wasn't living in Nebraska, but I remember watching that game. They're not going to move on this guy. They did it twice. You wouldn't be nervous. In fact, you'd enjoy it. Because you know the result. All right, God is saying, I'm giving you the result. Will you take me up on that? That's the kind of security we have with God. Fullness of this land. Will you take me up on it? Here's what he says. Verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail or forsake you. I want to come back to those verses. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. I'm with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I have promised you this land. I want to take a step back or forward in the New Testament. Jesus promises fullness of life. John 10, 10. I came that might have life and might have it abundantly. And the same promise that God makes to Joshua, the author of Hebrews quotes in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Here's what he says, make sure your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Why? For, here he himself has said, here's the quote from Joshua 1, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So God's taken this principle and he's bringing it into the New Testament and he said, I want you Americans living in a market-driven culture, a materialistic culture because of my presence because the fact that you know I will never leave you or I will never forsake you I want you to be free from the love of money and I want you to be content with what you have that's what fullness of life looks here. We don't have to look at this ad and this ad and think, you know, if I had this or I get on social media, Facebook, and I see that vacation, if I had that vacation experience, now everybody's graduating. Everybody's putting their, UNL graduated yesterday, and it's kind of like, all these people are graduating. Is my kid going to graduate? I mean, this comparison goes on. And it robs us of the life God has for us. We need to bring the presence of God into our life, into this day, what we're doing right now. And we live in a culture that will challenge that. Shane Hips is a pastor. He was once an account executive, a marketing rep for Porsche. And he wrote about his experience. Here's what he said. My role as an advertising account planner was to serve as a kind of quote-unquote consumer anthropologist. That's the sanitized description, he says. More accurately, catch this. My task was to hijack your imagination, brand your brain with our logo, then feed you opinions you thought were your own. He's advertising. Much of what I did on, involved unearthing, unearthing private, exploitable data from consumers' lives, what we call the leverageable insight. An effective ad tries to tap the viewer's most intense and emotional experiences the trigger for all consumer impulses. My job, I love his wording here, was to save people, there's a term we use, was to save people from, fe- from feeling impotent, unattractive, or powerless, By offering them Jesus. No, by offering them a Porsche which promised to fix their problems. That's the culture you're living in. That's the culture I'm living I'm living in. You don't want our product. Let me create an ad. Let me create something that creates dissatisfaction that you know you can't be fulfilled till you have this. Okay, the next paragraph is very sarcastic, so you know, but I love what he writes. I'm a slow learner. It took me a few years to realize that it was actually promoting a counterfeit gospel. Before you start judging me, you should know that I never offered cheap grace. The gospel, according to Porsche, will set you back between eighty and 150,000, depending on how much salvation you need. That's the culture we're living in. God promises us fullness of life, and we live in a culture that is market-driven, and I love this country. But make no mistake. They need you, and they need me, dissatisfied. So we will buy their products, so we can be saved from feeling unattractive, impotent, and powerless. And we're saved by Porsche, in this case, but pick the product. The writer of Hebrews Writing for the God who stands out of time says, let your character be free from the love of money. Being content, that's very hard in this culture with what you have. Why? Because I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so God says that same promise to Joshua in verses 5 and 6. And so the call is, Joshua, I want you to be resolute. I want you to be intentional. I do not want you to turn back in what? Starting in verse 7. Only... Be strong and very courageous. There it is. Be resolute. Be undeterred. In what? Be careful to do all, to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. You do all of it. The law. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. So when you get this thing, Joshua, you don't don't turn here, you don't turn there. You want to take this land. You want to experience what I have from you. You take this law And you do all of it, and you don't turn from the left to right. This book of the law, verse 8, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So it's not a, a flippant thing. You're meditating on it. You're thinking about it. Do you know how a cow eats grass, chews it for a little while, sends it down, then pulls it back up to chew on it more, to gain more nutrients. That's the idea with the Word of God. We're ru- it's not checking this off, did my thing. We're ruminating on this. We're considering this. We're pondering this. What does this have to say? Why? So that you may be careful to do all that according is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Success being taking the land. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Rhetorical question. Yes, I have. Be strong and courageous. Yes. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua, you were part of that generation. You saw that generation and thought, yeah, I don't don't think God can do that. You spent 40 years wandering in the distance. I, I want you to be different. Joshua, I want you to lead a different people who takes me at my word and puts it into practice is... Resolute and won't turn back. So we're asking this question. How do we experience all God has for us? Here's the deal. We'll experience that when we put God's word into practice. We'll experience all God has for us when we put God's word into practice. Now, I want us to think this through. I want us to think through the why. God is not in heaven saying, you know, okay, I got a checklist, and that Pete, you know, he did this, and he did this, and he didn't do that, and that. So we're going we're gonna to do 50, 54% of what he had because he followed the law here and he didn't there. No, 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 no. Do, do you understand when we follow God's word, it, it's in, in his word that Jesus reveals himself. We're experiencing Jesus as we put his word into practice. And then we take on his character. Good, gracious, kind, merciful, long-suffering, patient. That is where we experience fullness of life. This is not a checkoff and did you you did 57% and I've got no no we're experiencing Jesus and who he is, and, and he becomes more prominent in our lives and we become more like him as we put his word into practice. So that's the call to Joshua. So in verses 10 and 11, Joshua tells the people, get ready, we're about to cross. And in verses 12 through 15, he speaks to two and a half tribes. He speaks to Gad, uh, Reuben, and Manasseh. Here's what he says. To the Reubenites and to the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God gives you rest and will... Give you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But you shall cross before your brothers in battle array all your valiant warriors and shall help them. Until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he gives you, then they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you beyond Jordan at the sunrise. What's he talking about? So on the march to the Jordan River... Israel was opposed by two kings, and they defeated them. And so that is part of the settlement of the land. So Reuben and Gad and Manasseh have theirs. They're on the one side of the Jordan, but the majority of the land lies on the other side. There's people to be dispossessed. And so Joshua, speaking the word of God, is saying, remember the deal. You don't get to sit here. Your wives and your children do. But men, you suit up. You're going across, and you won't have rest until all the nation of Israel has rest. We're in this. We're, we're a people together, and we're bonding with these people to take what God has given to us as a nation, I think that is application for us as a church body. We're the people of God, and we're there, and, and when, when someone's going through something, we're with them. We're walking through it with them. Uh, Verses 16 to 18, and they answered Joshua saying, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. They're serious about taking God at his word. And they're resolute in following him. Do we hold that same conviction? I'm going to take Jesus. Well, yeah, of course we do, Pastor. Okay. Okay, so somebody has hurt you and they won't own it. And the call is to forgive. Whoa, I don't know about that. See, see, Jesus promises an abundant life and it's a quality of life. And the, the truth of the matter is you and I are going to be consumed by unforgiveness. And we serve a, a Savior who, though we spit in His face and rebelled at Him, chose to die on the cross, and His answer was, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. You were there, I was there. That's who we follow. And Jesus says, you follow me in forgiveness. Whoa, really? Yeah. Because in that, we experience the grace of God. We grow in our understanding of how much Jesus has forgiven us. And we are released from the bitterness that has a hold on us. Now, I, let me say, I understand forgiveness is an event and a process, and you may be working through stuff, and you may be, but, but it's, it starts with a decision and a growth process. I talk to people, uh-uh, I'm, not, I'm not forgiving that. Well, then you're in disobedience to God. And you're not going to go, I don't care. Okay, okay. But, but the call is to be resolute in following God. I was single until I was 33. And there were times it's kind of like I had chosen, I felt like God had called me to ministry and, and it, it meant I, I would date certain people and others. And, and God has made it clear in terms of character that we're supposed to date somebody who is serious about following Jesus. But that's hard sometimes. Boy, that narrows your field. Well, why would I do that? Because the ultimate cry in dating is, and marriage is a cry for intimacy, and God promises to meet our deepest need for intimacy. And when we're alone, God promises to be with us. And, and He doesn't make a promise of a future or not, but He promises He'll be there. And in that decision to trust Him, we experience Him, the fullness of who He is. See, this This preaches well, but the challenge to, to obey God in, in hard things is very real. We talked about money. God says, your money is ultimately my money. And you spend your money in accordance with principles I lay out. Well, I don't like that. I, that was my job. I earned that money. Yeah. Money can have a control on us. As many in our culture, money can create dissatisfaction. That's why... He tells us, be, let your character be free from the love of money and be content. When we say, man, my money's got it, it's okay. I, I'm content. Jesus will meet whatever need I have to, to buy and to spend. Uh, my friend who's a stewardship pastor at Lincoln Brian said, you know, Andy, when I started out, I had hundreds of couples, and, and you know, we do the budgeting. And it's, it's not hard to figure out a budget, but the people we get back with me, it was 2 or 3% because there was an emotional need that was being met by spending, and until that emotional, spiritual need is done, these people are enslaved. See, freedom, fullness of life comes as we put Jesus' word into action, and sometimes that's really hard. And for these people, it means we're going to have to trust God, even though the inhabitants of that land look really big. They will take that land, but it starts by taking Jesus' word. Jesus does have fullness of life for us, but it starts with us being resolute in obeying him. You know, at the Feast of Booths, talks about in John 7. Uh, Jesus' brothers were there. And John 7, verse 5 says, you know what? Jesus' brothers didn't even believe in him. They had seen the miracles, they had seen the stuff, and they said, Man, why don't you go up to the Feast of Booths and why don't you do your stuff and work your stuff? And you know, maybe, maybe you can maybe you can impress some people. And in John 7, verse 8. Jesus said this to his brothers, go up to the feast yourselves. I'm not going up to this feast because my time has not yet fully arrived. Right. Eventually Jesus did go, but he didn't go until the Father told him to go. Jesus modeled for us one who took his Father's word seriously, and he didn't go forward, he didn't go backward, he didn't go anywhere without it. And ultimately Jesus went to the cross. But here his brothers say, man, let them see you for who you are. Even though we don't believe in you, Jesus, go show yourself. Do your stuff. Do your do your, do your, do your miracle thing and work your stuff. And, and I'm not doing that. I'm not in there showing myself. I'm here for my Father's purpose. In a minute, I'll finish and we'll pray and we'll sing this song, Follow You Anywhere. That's what we're saying. We want fullness of life and we'll follow Jesus anywhere. That's what Joshua did. They learned from a generation who wouldn't We will follow you anywhere. See, Jesus does have fullness of life, but there's not a promise that we will experience that. We'll experience that when we're resolute like Joshua in this first generation, and we put God's word into practice. Years ago, our our, uh, oldest son had a little bit of a fever, and um, I think he's about fourth grade, and I, I think like he missed three days of school k-12 he's just a kid who wasn't got very sick but we thought you know should we take him in should we not yeah we will so we took him in urgent care and they said he's got pneumonia he's got early stage pneumonia so we want you to take this level of antibiotic take it at this dosage and if his fever goes back up you come back in and see us so we took that level of dosage and for a couple days he was fine and then man his fever spiked we back in, and they said, we need a second level of antibiotic, and, and you take it at this base and this time and this thing, and if his fever goes back up, you come and see us. Well, that, that second level knocked, of antibiotic knocked it out. But I want to tell you, as parents, we followed the doctor's words on that. We followed those instructions, and when it said take one every four hours, we had him taking one every, I don't know what it was, one every six hours, whatever it was. We got serious about that because we wanted our son Free from pneumonia. We wanted him to experience life to the full. And if he's got pneumonia and a fever and stuff building up in his lungs, it's not going to happen. We took those directions from the doctor very seriously. Because we believed he had the key to our son being free from pneumonia. Well, Jesus is the ultimate one in charge. And he has given us how to live, how to experience life, how to live life to the full. And he's telling us, and he's giving this example, we'll do that, we'll experience all God has for us as we put God's word into practice. Let me pray, and our team will close us. Lord, we're grateful that uh, Joshua reminds us to put your word to practice in full. And Lord, it, that has all kinds of implications, that has all kinds of ramifications for us. Lord, that we, living in this consumeristic culture, would not be sidetracked from that, thinking that, um, that fullness comes in material possession or wealth, or there's a whole lot of, lot of things, Lord, that can distract us. Uh, Lord that we follow Joshua's word and we resolute we'd meditate on your word. we wouldn't turn on it from to the left or the right. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.